1: Just call 888 441 7290 or go to prepare with com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, and it's called Southern Sense, and you know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, and click on the icon for my patriot food. All right. And we're back. We're live. Listening to Southern here on Blog Talk Radio. S H R Media, the Lone Star Daily News, up at 9th Street Square. Through YouTube, Facebook. Ah, oh, the heck with it. You know what I'm going to say? Just go to the name of the show. Put a dash in the middle. Southern-Sense dot com. I'm your host, just with the most, distant reader, chick Annie, along with my co-host, who's on the road, the traveling man, Curtis C S Bennett. Good <laughs> afternoon, Curtis. Happy Thanksgiving.
2: Yeah, thank you. Happy Thanksgiving to you oh, and all our listeners. Um, I'm somewhere on I-95 heading south in the fine state of Virginia. It's like 37 degrees outside, but I'm sure our topics today will warm me up. <laughs>
1: well, it, unfortunately, it's a sad topic, topic today. Um, it is about a uh, S- Sergeant First Class Richard Staker, who is a Green Beret, And unfortunately, because of his diagnosis, he has been given less than one year to live. Uh, The military doctors just missed it completely, and it is a huge scandal. Uh, He's going to be, hopefully, he will be joining us, uh, depending upon how he's feeling. Uh, But we will have his attorney, Natalie Kwan, on with us. Her law firm's. 813whistle.com. And we also have author and former Special Forces, Scott A. Husing, a major uh, in the United States Marine Corps, who wrote the book Echo in Ramadi about his time there. Uh, He's the one that uh, put me on to the story of Richard Stakel, uh, and it is really a tragic story. Uh, That said, I hope everyone had a very happy and delicious Turkey Day, Thanksgiving. Uh, we had uh, the son of a friend of ours uh, of the show. His son is in the Marine Corps and is stationed in Paris Island right now. He's one of the, unfortunately, one of the walking wounded. And he had no place to go. He had no family around near him. So we invited him over to ours. So we had a pleasant uh, visit with our friend, a new friend, Nick. I uh, want to thank uh, his dad, Bill, for letting us steal him. So I've actually adopted him as my son yesterday. <laughs> Uh, All right. <laughs> but uh, it, was a, it was a great day. Uh, that said, we go to something sad. Um, everyone that listens to the show knows that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to another victim of 9-11. Special Agent in Charge, FBI Agent David J. LaVallee. LaVallee. Let me see if I can say that correctly. David J. LaVallee. His end of watch was Saturday, May 26th of this year. And I found the words of the FBI director, Christopher Wray, to be better than any article or anything else I could come up with. So these are his words at David LaVallee's uh, funeral. And he reads, or wrote, calm, cool, and collected. Steady level-headed, even-tempered in the face of adversity, modest and unassuming, universally liked and respected, kind, caring, and gracious. Qualities we all aspire to, but which we rarely achieve, especially all at once. Qualities embodied by the man you've known for years and the man I've had the opportunity to work with over the past 10 months. A good man who gave his all for his country and for the people he served. A man who exemplified the highest and best qualities of faith, hope, and love. On the morning of 9-11, Dave was driving to work, about four blocks from the World Trade Center when the first plane hit. A second thought, he drove as close as he could, parked his car, put on his helmet and his bulletproof vest, and went to see how he could help. When the first tower collapsed, Dave ducked into the archway of a building. He later said that he thought to himself at that moment, this is how I'm going to go. This is how I'll meet my maker. He also said he wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid because he was a man of faith. And in the days and weeks following the attacks, Dave kept that faith. Just as he kept his faith in the rule of law, in justice, and in doing what was right. Most people can't imagine what those first responders lived through, what they saw, what they endured, how they felt. Most people can't imagine the sense of duty it must have taken to go to work at those scenes day after day, night after night, month after month. And we're only now beginning to understand the long-term impact of that work on all of our first responders We're only now just beginning to understand the sacrifices they made so long ago. But it's not surprising that Dave would embody that sense of duty, that strong character. He was the quiet leader, the leader who stands back and lets others shine. He was the first to give credit and the last to take it. He was the leader who simply did the work without fanfare, without need for recognition, He cultivated excellence in everyone around him, leading by example, inspiring his team to bring their best selves to the fight every day. And even before he rose through the ranks, he was a leader as a case agent, showing new agents the ropes with a rare combination of vision and attention to detail. He knew how he wanted to run his cases, and he did it very, very well. And as a good case agent as he was, It was clear he was even a better friend. When you were Dave's friend, you were in it for the life. And he wasn't about to let you go. Most of the people sitting here today have known Dave for decades. And that kind of enduring friendship is rare in today's day and age. People closest to Dave knew that he was ill. That he'd been ill for some time. But Dave was never one for drama. He wasn't self-pitying. He had no time for himself. He wanted to know how you were. He wasn't a talker. He was a listener. Just last week, he called his fellow agent, Greg Airy, to see how he was faring in the new sack of our Newark field office. Dave didn't want to talk about himself. He just wanted to reach out and touch base with an old friend. Greg shared a story that says a lot about the kind of guy Dave was. He said that a few days after the 9-11 attacks, he and Dave were walking the streets down near Ground Zero, searching for survivors, sifting through the remains, doing whatever they could do to help. And they heard noise, a lot of noise, which down at Ground Zero in those days was pretty unusual. So they followed the source of the noise to an abandoned bar. They walked in and came face-to-face with a room full of cops and first responders who were as Greg put it, liberating the contents of the bar. And when they walked in, the bar got so quiet you could have heard a pin drop. These guys were looking at Greg and Dave, and Dave and Greg were looking right back. Greg thought to himself, what in the world have we walked into, and how are we going to get out? And without me missing a beat, Dave walked right up to the counter and calmly said, Budweiser's, please. And just like that, in his usual way, he became one of the guys, part of the team, knowing Dave he probably left a 20 behind to cover his tab. That's the man you all knew, a true team player. It wasn't ever about him or what he needed. It was always about what he could do to help. This is a man who had a lot of friends in the NYPD back in the mid-90s, Now, those of you who know the story of the FBI and the NYPD know that's really, really something. That relationship hasn't always been the way it is these days. Back then, there was no love lost between the FBI and the NYPD. But Dave managed to break through the barriers just by being himself, naturally and comfortably without an agenda. He was always going where he was most needed, where he could do the most good, even in the greatest potential cost. He served as a U.S. Marine Corps officer. He was a police officer in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. As an agent, he took down violent transnational gangs and drug traffickers. And he somehow made it all look easy. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, the Lord calls for someone to serve him. And Isaiah raises his hand and says, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, send me. God wasn't calling on Isaiah to perform some simple task. He wasn't calling him to service to make his life easier, to make his road smoother. A call to service isn't designed for comfort and convenience. True service is a test. It's an act of faith. And Dave had faith. He had faith in people. He was raised by people of faith. He had faith in the work he was called to do. He nurtured that faith. He shared it. And he lived it every day. Time and again. Dave raised his hand and said. Here I am. Send me. In the words of a friend. He deeply loved. And he gave of himself. wholly and partially to all. And so as people of faith. Through our hearts aching this morning, we trust that Dave waits us in a better place. It just might be that God needed a good man for a tough job. And that Dave, once again, raised his hand and said, here I am. Send me. These are the words of FBI Director Christopher Wray in dedication to Special Agent in charge, David J. LaVallee Le- 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 is also a dedication to all the brave men and women out there that serve as first responders, be they in law enforcement, firefighters, or first responders emergency services. It's also dedicated to the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of our nation through today and into its future. We dedicate to them this song. By Todd Allen Harrington. My name is America. May God bless each and every one.
0: I paid with the blood of my people Freedom has never been free Now my door's always open To dreamers and friends I stand for my respect for humanity. Now I'm challenged by tyrants.
1: All right, and we're back. You're here listening live to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR, Media, The Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook. Oh, the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle of Southern Sense.com. Of course, I'm your hostess with the most disorderly chick, Annie, along with my clever and traveling co host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Uh, Curtis, we're waiting for our, our guest to call in. Uh, we've got a very interesting right. show. It's, uh, it's a tough yeah, it's a tough topic we're going to be talking about, uh, but it is a topic that has to get out. There's something that we can actively get involved in by urging our lawmakers to make a change uh, in legislation. Uh, something has to be done, and we have the people on the spot today to help us do that. Let's welcome back the author of Echo in Ramadi, Scott Husing. Good afternoon, Scott. How are you doing?
3: Hey, great. How are you today, Ann?
1: I I'm fine. I'm resting after all the cooking and everything for Thanksgiving. And don't realize how much it takes out of you, but boy, am I exhausted today. Oh man, what a rush.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's a great day. Um very a lot to be thankful this year. Um and just great to be back on the show with you to talk about um Richard's story today.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if Richard's going to be able to make it cuz uh, I Neither he or his wife got back to me. Uh, were you able to reach out to them?
3: Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, I think that they should be calling in. Um, I'll get on, get them on the line right now and uh, make sure they're on board. All
1: right. Just remember to tell them to press one when they call in, so that I know that they want to come, that that they're the guest and not just someone listening in. Uh, but he's got okay. a very very uh, interesting but yet sad story where he was. Not diagnosed properly uh, When he was first detected to have cancer And it went on to the point Where now he's been told He's got less than one year to live A very sad
3: story Yeah, it's a tragic story And I'll talk about it. Hopefully Rich and, and Megan Or his um, counsel will call in uh, But I'll tell you how I was introduced to Rich And made aware of this story Because as most of you know uh, you know I'm, I'm a big supporter of veterans anything that I can do to help veterans uh, in any way is, is I will drop everything to do that. So I was introduced to rich day uh, a couple years ago when we were trying to find another, another Marine. And uh, I got on the phone with rich and uh, at the end of our conversation, I said, so rich, how are you doing? And he told me sadly that he was just diagnosed with cancer and I was devastated. And he told me it was lung cancer at the time. And I asked him, you know, if it was smoking or anything. He said, no, it's from, uh, you know, I was shot in the chest by a sniper in Ramadi in 2004. And he went on to have complications. And um, so a, a couple of weeks back, Rich reached out to me again. And he and I served in the same battalion, although not at the same time in 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines. He was in the first battle of Ramadi. I was in the second in 2006. And so he, 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 he hits me up on social media and he says, Hey, Hey, sir, would you be able to share this video uh, on your page? And I said, absolutely. So I I blasted it out to, uh, you know, hundreds of pages and it went from like a thousand views to, well, almost 200,000 now from this Fox 46 Charlotte, North Carolina video uh, from Matt Hart on their affiliate just to share this story. And I told Rich, I said, Hey, Rich, you know, sharing links on social media is dumping. Like, I could do that in my sleep. What do you really mean? And, you know, he was kind of at a loss for words. He says, well, I don't know. I said, well, in the interim, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to introduce you to everybody I've met in radio this year. This is an important story about your uh, battle um, against this Karis doctrine of 1950, his misdiagnosis from the VA, um, because Rich went from being a Marine to being a special forces green beret and as a result he was having complications and was was not only misdiagnosed but they withheld information from him because he started having complications he was coughing up blood he was passing out his wife took him to the medical center there at the va and they found a mass, but they didn't tell him about the mass, and then they told him it was pneumonia so he's still having all these complications, and he goes back to the VA, and they said that first-time patients don't have priority, uh, essentially, and they put him at the bottom of the waiting list. So he went to a civilian care provider, and they diagnosed him with cancer, stage 4 cancer that had metastasized and has now spread to different organs in his body, and the, the diagnosis is, is dire. Uh, he uh, has been told he's got less than a year to live. Uh, He and his wife, Megan, are now trying to sue for damages but are prohibited because he's active duty because of the Karis Doctrine in 1950 that prohibits active duty service members from, from tort against medical providers in the VA. And this is something that is just really heartbreaking. And despite the fact that they can make any connection with the sniper bullet that he took in his chest. For our country to protect Our government who wrote these Ridiculous antiquated doctrines um, In 1950 Regardless of the Fact that that may have Been the root cause of the cancer Doesn't stop the fact that He was misdiagnosed And they found a mask and they didn't Disclose that to him so that's really The crux of it and I don't want to step on uh, You know Natalie Quam who's his attorney I don't want to step on her toes because she's doing a phenomenal job helping rich and megan out and he's trying to really continue to fight to get compensation to make sure that this doesn't happen again and also provide for his family and his two young girls yeah
1: well i've got someone over here that called into the studio this may be one of our other guests uh the area code is 408 you're on the air live with southern sense i'm your host annie the radio chick along with my co-host curtis bs bennett uh to whom am i speaking
4: Hi, this is uh, Sergeant First Class Richard
1: Stachel. Hi, Richard. How are you today?
4: I'm doing well. How about yourself?
1: I'm doing fine. Um, I did some quick research on what uh, Scotty was telling me about you, and I was scrambling with my notes up to half an hour before the show. And what has happened to you is absolutely unforgivable. I mean, it's one thing that you're – I can understand (laughs) the idea behind the first doctrine, uh because it was narrowly used in case you know there was an accident while in the field while in combat or on active duty uh but this was not in the field on combat and active duty this was if this happened to a civilian, the lawsuits would have been flying like crazy, but because of this doctrine being abused and distorted uh, you're you're losing your life
4: yeah absolutely it's um it's it's definitely a Definitely a shame that you know the law has been just stretched so thin and so wide over the years that it it can be interpreted in any way possible you know, and to be able to say, you know I can protect my country, but I can't protect myself you know i just I don't see how that sits well with anybody that anybody would say that oh that that sounds that sounds great you know how let's let's put this in place and keep letting it go for the you know a good, not allowing our sons and daughters of America to protect themselves while serving active duty.
1: You were shot by a sniper while you were in Ramadi back in 2004. I, I thought that we were issuing you guys uh, armor. The armor didn't stop the round?
4: No, at the time, uh, we didn't have them. I mean, that was very, very early on. So, you know, we were running around with flak jackets and h uh, harnesses. so very limited equipment.
1: Mm. Because I remember, you know, helping some people to raise money for just simply getting the uh, armor to go underneath the uh, Humvees and the other vehicles that you were driving that were getting hit mercilessly with by IADs because they didn't have the protection from underneath. But to think that something as simple as a bulletproof vest is not being issued to troops in the field of fire is unforgivable.
4: Hmm. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, again, you know, Nobody's here is looking for special treatment, just fair, and equal treatment, you know, the same as anybody else would get. Um, you know, not only are we soldiers and airmen, sailors, you know, Marines, you know, we're, we're citizens of America as well.
1: Yet there's a different standard of treatment and rules for a civilian
3: compared to military. Yes, absolutely. Well, yeah. um, the, yeah, and, 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 you know, the fact that Rich could have been provided, the you know, the best treatment uh, at a different medical facility while he was on active duty, and I, this isn't an indictment on the entire system because I've received tremendous care uh, for, you know, my service-related injuries. But what's most important is, as I told you before the show, I was a major with 24 years in the Marine Corps, and I didn't even know about the cares Doctrine because they don't disclose that to you, when you go in for any type of procedure. So when they wheel you in before they start slicing you up and putting extra parts in your spine or in your back or in your leg, they don't say, hey, things might go terribly wrong while you're under the knife, um, and you can't sue us if that happens. But if you want to get civilian care for the same procedure, that's your option. They don't tell you that. So you're really hamstrung by the by being in, you know, indoctrinated into that system as an active duty service member because you really don't think you can go to a civilian care provider, which is not necessarily the case. If you want to pay for that out of pocket, you absolutely can. But the fact that Rich is now a, a victim of this doctrine, it's really just something that any of the listeners right now that have any ties to any elected officials, they have to be made aware of this, that this is, again – a, a case of a, of a veteran, an active duty service member who's battling for his life, a, a losing battle. And I don't have to tell Rich this because he knows I love him like a brother, but he's still fighting and he's still trying to protect his family. And whether he knows it or not, he's helping other veterans and other people that may not even know about this doctrine. And I'm, I'm so proud of Rich, despite the inordinate amount of pressure, the physical demands that this cancer is taking on his body and the mental stress—he's still fighting, and people need to realize that. That's the real story. Uh, Richard,
1: Rich, I cannot thank you enough for your service. Go ahead. This is my co-host Curtis.
2: Yeah, this is really a travesty which happened to you. But I was—I was curious. Um, are you receiving any kind of compensation from the military? And what is your status? Active duty, medical, or or what? Uh, right,
4: right now, currently, I'm still active duty. Um, yeah, you know, I my job primarily right now is just receiving care. I'm. Uh, I just finished up my last round of radiation, so it's kind of still messing with me a little bit. So I apologize if I'm speaking funny. But uh, I did, I'm on uh, chemo pills as well. Um, and right right now, I just I try to go around the, the best hospitals that I can and keep getting treatment and, you know, I kind of my wife keeps me pointed in the right direction and I have my, all my appointments, so she takes a lot of the burden off of me.
1: Wives have the tendency to do that with their men. <laughs> i tell you that. And you gotta <laughs> yeah. th- Thank her for, you know, helping you and standing by your side. There are people not as strong as your wife and you're very lucky to have her. Tell her she's in our prayers, also. But can you, uh, either Scott or you, Richard, please explain exactly what this theory doctrine is and how it relates to the Federal Tort Claims Act, uh, the FTCA?
3: Um, Scott, if I you know got I a better. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm just yeah. Um, right now,
3: sorry. No, no worries. Um, so essentially the the doctrine again in layman's terms and it it, it prohibits the service member from from filing a federal tort claim against the u.s government while they're on active duty now there was a a ruling i I believe it was in 1983 about a coast guardsman that that tried to successfully um file civilly against them that is it was the closest i think it had been to being overturned but i think just you know i don't think that there's there's probably cases where it applies, but there absolutely has to be some sort of special circumstance under the carous doctrine that it should be modified for cases like riches in this, in this case where it is just gross malpractice and, and negligence on the part of the medical staff that they did not disclose the fact that he had a mass and that it I, I think rich can, can verify this, but when he went to see the civilian provider, the worst news was telling him had they caught this earlier <clears throat> excuse me his chances of recovery may have been better There's
1: too much turkey in your throat
3: <laughs> oh my god i get i get so i get so worked up just it's 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 so emotional to even to talk about this i mean it it's infuriating as a as a fellow veteran but it it it's such a heartbreaking story and so frustrating because despite the hundreds of thousands of people that know about this case in particular, again, I, I'm hard pressed to see any emails popping up my box saying, how can I help? You know, I've called my congressman. I've called my elected officials. How can we help? And this is what I want your listeners to hear is you have to do something. You have to take action. And between Rich, his family, um, Natalie Kwan, his attorney, and everybody within my network, we're trying to raise awareness for this and have somebody take action. If you've got Donald Trump's phone number in your phone, somebody listening needs to call him and tell him about this case. This is how important this is to to me as a, as a veteran supporter and absolutely life-threatening condition to, to Rich and his family and, and getting uh, compensation and, and holding the system accountable uh, for what's going on here and at least having the cares Doctrine modified to some degree, where there's a, a cap, if nothing else, where they can sue civilly, that is in addition to any insurance from whether it's SGLI, service group life insurance, or whatever insurance that Rich and his family have. There should be other alternatives that are going to sustain his family, uh, in, in, you know, after the fact. Absolutely.
1: We have his attorney in on the line, Natalie Kwan. I want to welcome her to the show, to Southern Sense. I'm your hostess, Annie, the radio chick. And I want to thank you for taking up this case. But your, your law firm is known for taking on cases that are for veterans, are for whistleblowers. matter of fact, you're, you're known as the whistleblower uh, law firm, if I can get my teeth in straight here. So welcome aboard, Natalie.
5: Thank you so much.
1: Oh, it is our pleasure. Uh, tell us how you ended up getting involved uh, with Richard and uh, the Ferris Doctrine.
5: Sure, um, we do a lot of cases for veterans and um, people in the military that have issues with our government, as far as appealing um, their benefits, you know, getting having their rights restored or violation of their rights. Um, and so I think we made a, a name for ourselves in the community for that um, because we were very successful in what we've done, despite how difficult the cases were. Um, and you know, I, I really appreciate and love our veterans and our and our military for all that they've done for our country. So that was one of those things that I way to give back to the community. Um, I got a phone call or email from um, Richard's mom um, early on, and she kind of like gave her the story, the background of the story, and you know, my heart went out to her. Um, and said, well, we got to work on this case. we got to do this case. Let's look into it. And uh, it was one of those matters where I said, how did I never hear about this? I mean, I'm an attorney. I've, I practice in federal courts. I'm a federal attorney. Um, and I went to Georgetown Law. I mean, I'm around veterans and military all the time. And to, to not hear about this, I thought, Wow well, if I have never heard about this, I don't think anyone's heard about this. And the more and more I explored it, the more I've learned so much about it. And I thought one of the most important things about this to begin with the story is awareness. Bringing this issue, making people aware of this matter, and after that we can fix it because it's very fixable. It's just bringing it to the attention of the American people.
1: It is important to know about this one. And I had heard about this a number of years ago, and I just put it to the back of my mind because, as I understand it, when the first document was put in place under the Federal Tort Claims Act, it was narrowly defined so that to protect people. So that if you're in a war zone, or if you're on active duty, actively performing your service at that time, it would protect the doctors in the field, say, for example, like a mass unit. Uh, after that, you know, then the doctrine drops off once you beyond that narrow area. But over the years, it has been, as I'll say, it bastardized to the point where it covers anyone in military service Uh, whether they're actively performing a military service or not. And there are a number of cases that came forward, I noticed. Um, One of them was a nurse, and she gave birth. And hours after she gave birth to a perfectly healthy, non-risk childbirth, she died. And her husband said, well, this has nothing to do with her medical service, and yet her suit was denied. Um, There was also the case of Rodriguez where it went to the point where there actually legislation was put together. Um, Carmelo Rodriguez, and you had in 2010 uh, the Rodriguez bill, and it was introduced both by, by the House and the Senate. Uh, the Senate, it died in the Judiciary Committee. The House measure was placed on the calendar, and there it stayed. Now, the latest one was Lieutenant Rebecca Daniel. That was the nurse. Uh, that was in 2014. And there is a possibility that they may go before the Supreme Court. Um, have you heard of these cases before? Not
5: prior to Richard's case. Um, you know, I was just at the Supreme Court um, on Tuesday, Wednesday. I walked over and I used to actually intern there. Um, and so I walked over and I got a copy of the petition that they filed. Um, and, you know, I've been looking through it um, and we have a, you know, a, obviously a similar claim here, where we're saying that, you know, this was not the, as at one. Once we use the word, this was not the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law was not there to shield or protect or um, immune, immune, immunize um, these malpractitioners. You know, we these aren't even officers we're even referring to, by the way. These are civilian doctors. that, you know, I question their qualifications to start with. But this law was there to protect those who are trying to do their best in a state of emergency, in battle, in theater, in combat, not at Womack Hospital going for a routine uh, physical visit, screenings, whatever you want to call it, something that a resident with proper training could have done properly.
1: No, this is true. And when I read through what Richard had gone through, just to get him to this point, and I got to say, Richard, you've got one hell of a commanding uh, officer in Major Burton because he went out above and beyond. You had gone to the hospital uh, for your, your screening to become, a, uh, I believe it was a Green Beret, and that's when they did the CAT scan. They never notified you that they found a CAT scan that was suspect.
4: Yeah, you know, my, my chain of command all through this process has is, is absolutely been amazing. They've... They've seen symptoms and signs, and they've helped me to rectify some of them as best the situation would allow. And uh, there's nothing bad I could ever say about my command, for sure. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's just like uh, everybody else has said. You know, I walked in in plain clothes with an appointment, sat down, talked to the secretary, went back, waited. I mean, you know, just a normal, everyday thing anybody else would do. And, um, you know, I just didn't get that same kind of treatment back.
1: No, and what I found amazing is that you went to the ER numerous times, and each time they t- sent you home saying, oh, well, you may have asthma or you may have walking pneumonia. They kept on diagnosing you with pneumonia, and this is months after you had the original CAT scan done. In the interim, they reread the CAT scan and saw the cancer on it and still did not notify you.
4: Yeah, absolutely. They just... Uh... I don't I don't know where where it dropped but it dropped somewhere and somebody just failed to do their job that they were hired to do and you know it makes it uh makes it for an even worse situation you know this now the things that my not just myself but my family is going through and then you know like you said earlier it's just how many more of us are are out there you know that are in the same, that had the same situation and you know it's it's a terrible thing to think about that after all the things you know these young men and women are dedicating themselves to, to the country, and this is how you're being treated on the back end when you're, when you're supposed to have proper care.
1: Well, Natalie, I'm going to ask you this. Now that you picked up – I was going to ask Natalie a question. Now that you picked up the, the lawsuit, um, what are you – what is the purpose that you're trying to do? Is this just to bring awareness? Is this for tort reform? Is this to bring it before the Supreme Court? What is the, the goal that you're aiming for?
5: Well, all of the above. First client, my, First of all, my client is Richard. So my goal is to make sure that Richard and his family is made whole. Uh, you know, he's already suffered enough. Uh, there, I can't, unfortunately, take away the cancer from him. But what I can do is help with establishing his rights, or at least seeking some justice here. And that justice would be, be made whole, have a right to um, whatever he Whatever he's entitled to, which would be, why is he entitled to anything less than, than I and you can get this happened to us? If this happened to me or if this happened to you, you would have a right to a state, uh, to, by state law, a claim for malpractice. Um, his wife would have a, le- a right to a loss of consortium. His kids would have a right to wrongful death. I mean, everybody would have a right to a claim here. But because he put on a, a uniform, he's denied a right, that just, that just doesn't make sense. It's callous to even think about this. Number two, we're looking to change the law. The law shouldn't just be uh, selective. It shouldn't be just we treat only one group of people, and that's our soldiers, less than we treat everyone else in the country. Veterans have a right to malpractice mm-hmm. claims. They get their, if they have any kind of malpractice happen to them, the VA, they have a right to sue under the Federal Tort Claims Act. So civilians have a right. Veterans have a right. Prisoners have a right but our own soldiers don't have a right? It doesn't make sense. It's not American. Number three, we're looking to also change not just legislation here and give fair rights to everyone, active duty, retired, and civilians. We want everyone to be treated the same. Everyone has, should have the same rights. But we'd also like to see the Supreme Court reverse its own prior rulings. Or how about this? I'd like to even say, I think that the Supreme Court said one thing, and I think it was overly broadly extended with a broad brush, applied to so many people, because to say that Richard's wife doesn't have a right, that she's barred under the first doctrine, when when M- Megan doesn't even, she's not even active duty, she's not even in the military. So I think that it was the law, not only is it unjust, or at least being interpreted or executed improperly, but it also is being overly applied. It's kind of one of those, remember back then when they used to say separate was equal? And then the Supreme Court went and reversed itself and said, no, separate is not equal. If so you're treating someone separately, then they're not equal. Same thing. This is not Richard separate, but he's equal to us. No, he's not being treated equally to us. He is being actually mistreated in so many levels. So it would be not just for Richard and all our active uh, duty men and women out there, but it's for everyone to be able to pursue claims they're entitled to sue they're entitled, they should be entitled to the same rights that you and I, that we enjoy every day because of their hard work and they're fighting for our country and our, and our, and our look, we, we are only here because men and women are willing to go across our, across the seas to fight for our rights. So why should we be fighting for their rights?
1: God bless Wait. you for that. God bless you. Go ahead, Curtis.
2: Yeah, this is for um, Rich. This question: um, Have you had any success in contacting like your congressman or or senator? And and if so, have they been supportive? And my next question is: um, Do y'all have any children?
4: Uh, yeah, we you know we've been in contact with our uh, local politicians and uh, legislators, and the meetings have gone well. They're you know very productive. They're receptive. They're listening. Um, you know, and there's, they're talking about it. So, you know, I believe that they're going to, they're going to look at this, they're going to see an issue, they're going to recognize it. And, you know, they're going to see that it's it's an unfair law that just, it's, as Natalie said, it's been overreached, overstretched. And it, you know, it's not being applied to the to the right way. And uh, for the follow-up question, yeah, uh, we have two daughters that are uh, turning, one's turning 10. This week, and then the other one
1: is 11. Ah, oh, wow. tell her I said happy birthday. I'd sing, but i, I I'd probably hear half my audience. I'll <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> uh, just let you
1: know I've got a link up in the description that I've been posting here and everywhere else about the petition you have support our troops, uh, amend the Ferris Doctrine. So, if people are listening, and a lot of people listen to the podcast later on in the archives. They can look at the description, click on the link, and sign the petition it's important that we get this in front of our elected officials. Uh, I think that's really important. I've been putting it up in the chat room also so people can be aware of your story and help get it out there all the
4: more. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully, uh, the one thing I like to to tell people too is, you know, even though if they're say their service is coming to an end or whatever, and, you know, think about the the future, you know, the future children that are going to enlist in the services, after, uh, you know, people are, are done uh, uh, in in our generation, and I think it's important that they think of the future. Yeah, that's, that's true. right.
1: That is that is very true. You know, but, um, Natalie, the government turns around and says, well, we have compensation programs already in place. We've got the uh, disability compensation. We've got a life insurance policy. That should be enough for you. Mm-hmm. Is that a
5: valid argument? I have a life insurance policy. If somebody committed malpractice on me, you think I'm going to bar? I'm going to let anyone bar my rights to also pursue malpractice? Just to say somebody has life insurance or someone has a right to retire, so do I. And no one's stopping me from being able also pursue malpractice claims. So I don't. That one, those just don't jive for me. To say somebody can go and get retired. Everyone tells me, why don't you just ask him to go retire? So he's gonna go retire so that way we can stay space of some male practitioner out there. This doesn't make sense. So if this happens to look just let me just speak the facts as they are. Richard went out there and he got shot by a sniper in his lungs. He, he didn't die but so he was shot in the chest. So he's gonna die because some clumsy doctor worked at some military hospital. It's killing him because the guy didn't want to tell him that, look, what happened was they took a scan on Richard's lung. So the mass was there. It was very visible, 2.5 centimeters. I mean, it was clear. I don't have to be a radiologist. I don't have to be a a doctor. Stevie Wonder could see this mass on his his scan. Okay? Okay. So the guy doesn't go and tell the patient that there's a cancer or a possible cancer or an anomaly, if you want to use some medical terms. In his skin, so it's kind of like you go into the hospital, they see cancer. It's not like it was invisible. Oh, it's a medical judgment issue. No, no, it was visible. It was there. They noted it, but they never told him. Them not. Can you imagine them not telling you or your child that they have cancer, and them leaving, and then the cancer metastasizes through his whole body. That's that's not just. That's just not negligence. That's gross negligence. That's murder. Okay, that's like letting somebody. You know, someone's walking away bleeding, and you're not telling them that they're bleeding to death. That you need to. They need to go get treatment. So, point, that is very, that is very, very preventable. That what happened that was very preventable. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was. I'm
2: curious. How did this come to light? In other words, how well, did Rich find out okay. that they had held back information?
5: Okay. So what happened was Richard was getting sicker and sicker, of course, because he had mass on his lungs. And he would go in and you would say, I'm not feeling well, I'm not breathing. Um, he was coughing up blood uh, daily. At this point, I think most people would say, wait a second, there might be something wrong here. No, they kept on telling him to go back, you know, you can make an appointment 30 days from now. You know, the typical runaround when people don't care because there's no accountability. So finally, when he goes to a private hospital, and they look into this. They see, his, they look at his prior scans, and they're like, "Oh my God, this was in your record." It wasn't like it was. It was missed. It was there. They just didn't tell him. So this, again, going back, this was all very preventable. So, well, uh, I mean, Richard, so-
1: it comes back to your. I was going to mention that, Richard. It comes back to that Major Burton, that when you were there in your unit, and he saw how sick you were. He put his uniform on. He personally went over to the pulmonologist and said, this guy is getting an appointment now, didn't he? He pulled rank.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it just, you know, not very often we, we we in our community like to admit that we're sick or whatever else. And, you know, I I tried to be a big kid, and then I said, you know, my command's like, hey, you know, are you all right? And are you having issues? And I said, you know, I, I, I have – I have an issue that my rank can't handle and I, and I need your assistance. And he didn't even hesitate. He walked right back into his room. Just like I said, he put it on and he went over there, had a discussion, you know, and uh, he came back and said, you're good to go. And uh, it was, you know, I can't ever think that, thank my commander enough for that.
5: And this, but, you know, well, it shouldn't forward, have to go know. to that extent. Right. And this evidence is, that it's not our military, it's not our soldiers that are the problem. Look, his commander helped him. Everybody helps each other. There's a brotherhood there. That's not the issue. The issue is the law that needs to be changed. It's a systematic failure that's occurring here. It's not an individual. It's not an individual that's making the decision that Richard couldn't go get seen. It was the law that's preventing him from being able to, to be made whole. That's what we're looking to fix. And more importantly, long term, if we could fix this, I think there would be a lot more accountability at these hospitals because if you go to a private hospital, like I used to work at Children's Hospital, Philadelphia, and University of Pennsylvania Hospital, when the doctor was not good, when there was a lot of malpractice claims made against him, the hospital would all know, everybody would know because lawsuits. And then they would wait it out because nobody wants a risky person practicing medicine or malpracticing medicine on patients. Unfortunately, at the military hospitals and the VA, these doctors can't be sued individually. They have this sovereign immunity from being able to be sued. You can sue the VA, but you can't sue the doctor. So what is that saying? There's a policy issue here that says, hey, look, these guys think that they're just invincible. They can't be touched, so they just continue practicing medicine until they die or something where they should stop when they can't practice medicine, when they're committing malpractice. Again, going back to the whole, we can't afford to lose our soldiers. Richard's a hero. He's a Purple Heart. We can't make another Purple Heart uh, just tomorrow. These guys are one in few. So they're not dying in battle because they're so good, but they're dying in our own healthcare, uh, medical hospitals here? That doesn't make sense. This is very fixable. And in the long-term, it's better for our country to fix this because we need heroes like Richard fighting for our rights and our country.
1: Well, we got a caller here on the line. Uh, she is a former nurse that worked with the VA. So let's bring along Sweet Sue. Good afternoon, Sue. How are you today? And happy Thanksgiving.
6: Oh, hi. Happy Thanksgiving. Well, I had two questions. Uh, if you're active military, do you have the right to see your medical records? And does HIPAA apply to active military personnel? Uh, Can I who do you that? want to take that question? Go ahead, Natalie.
5: Okay. Um, yes, HIPAA applies, HIPAA applies to everyone. Um, so, and if anyone wants to know, that's a health information um, portability uh, act. So what is here is the HIPAA, he could see his medical records, but that's like asking me to go in the kitchen and ask the cook what ingredients he put in there and everything as if I know what, how to make, you know, um, you know, lasagna. He, uh, Richard is not uh, a doctor. He wouldn't be able to go into it. If somebody tells somebody, cleared they're good and not only did he say you're cleared he said you're cleared for diver school like so that's extraordinary that's like saying you're you're in perfect condition so when when my doctor tells me i'm okay if i go get some kind of a test blood test or something i'm going to believe him i'm not going to go back there in the lab and try to like centrifuge my own blood so that's the problem that's number one
6: well you know what i what i want to get across to people is You have, you can't trust what, whether it's in private sector, the VA or wherever, to always be given all of the truth. And I always, of course, I have a medical background, but I always get all of my reports. I also assist a lot of people when they're, you know, continuing to be sick and they need help. You know, I tell them, go get your medical records. So you can take someone with you or just, you know, jot it down. You can look at things on the Internet. But sadly, we have to become our own, you know, advocates. And I understand, you know, everything that has happened. But, you know, I just... We have to really, every time you see a doctor, you get those medical records and uh, you will gradually start putting things together. If you don't understand it, you can look things up or you can go to someone with a medical background and that can help you put it together. But if you continually get sick and you're feeling worse, that's a red flag that they haven't done what they needed to do. And my prayers are with you, and I am so sorry this happened to you. You know, the other thing is, is when I was working with the government, I was kind of a whistleblower, and I actually you know went in i was trying to get a policy that was dangerous changed and things and i went in with the medical director you know everybody who was high up at the hospital and then i was trying to get it through to them and i said because they would just continue to do it over and over again things that people were dying and i told them i said well look if you don't care about this I've got to care about my license. You know, if I follow your protocols, I could lose your license. This is what the medical director said to me. He said, you will never have to worry about that because if they come at us, we simply write them a check. And there are a lot of doctors who are hiding out in the, the VA and Indian Health Services in different places because they have this tremendous amount of protection. So, what you're doing is so, so important. They can no longer hide out at a facility that's treating our veterans and our military personnel. So, anyway, I'm going to go on mute and thank you, Annie. Yeah, I want to respond to the one thing you you
5: said earlier on, and I appreciate it. You know, I I do try to help our veterans and our military, but the help has to start from inside. You know, to say that you need to check your medical records and such, it's true. You know, we should all check our medical records, just like I fly a lot. I'm not going to – I want to trust that, the you know, the doctor did his job with – Richard trusted his doctor, believed that the doctor did his job, and told him that he was clear, he was clear. Mm -hmm. I fly a lot doesn't mean I'm going to go to the front cabin and – Give the pilot a breathalyzer, believing that I don't, you know, I don't trust if they did the proper breathalyzer, if he was really drunk or not, if my plane crashes. We can't do the job that, we've are, that the other person is meant to do. We can't blame the victims here. The victim here is the person that trusts the doctor. What has to happen is there has to be accountability now taken, taken into effect. It has to start from the top down, not from the bottom up of we should just start t- rechecking our doctor's decisions and such because we're not capable of doing that. Uh, people trust me with, you know, practicing law all day long. They're not going to go check the law itself, even though that's probably a prudent thing to do. But when it comes to the doctor saying that he was cleared, that's something that he shouldn't have said lightly. And why this law has to come into effect is because it's, I agree with you with the veterans. Our veterans, they are not receiving the proper care, the standard of care that we all that we all enjoy as civilians. That's just discrimination in my in my book why the persons who are fighting for our rights in our country being treated less than I'm being treated when I sit at home and enjoy Thanksgiving with my family instead of being on the front lines like they are.
3: Yeah. Hey, Natalie, I I just want to say thanks to Natalie for, for taking this case on. And I I echo what she says, because I think as a veteran, it is about accountability and whoever this doctor was, uh, whatever this medical treatment facility was, they're hurting people by not telling them information or, or maybe overtly hurting people. Um, and I don't know, again, you know, if we're allowed to say what which, which facility it was that he received treatment at. Um, but, you know, if, if somebody is not fixing your car right to use, and Natalie uses great analogies, you know, and, and the brakes don't work on you, I'm going to tell people don't take your car to this place because they can't fix the problem and you could die by going there. I mean, is there is there a way to make sure that you know this is addressed in in that form where we, we divert people from even going to this treatment facility to to get care?
1: Well, I have no problem with saying
3: who the facility is. Well,
1: it's only, up on can the, I, answer, uh, that I, I, I answer that
5: because I I got to answer that because you asked a great question. Is that Scott who asked who said that? Yes. Okay, um, you asked a great question, because think of it: as civilians, we get to enjoy going any hospital we want. So I live in DC. and I live in Tampa, and I'm in to Philadelphia right now at my parents' house. If I got sick, I can go to any hospital I want right now. Our military cannot. They have to be in the geographical area they're stationed in. So that's like Wilmax was known or had a reputation or has a reputation for having a lot of problems, a lot of malpractice. And that's known in that community. Unfortunately, they don't have a choice because that's what the law says, that they have to go where they're assigned. So not only are they being restricted from being able to sue for malpractice, but they're also being restricted from having the same rights that civilians enjoy, that they protect and give to our civilians uh, by protecting our country and our rights. So not only are we keeping them from being able to go to a hospital that should be the better hospital, the better care system, like veterans, we even have now the choice program where they can go to another hospital and seek a doctor that they prefer we've extended the rights to everyone but our soldiers so not only are you stuck going to the hospital because that's where you're that's where you're stationed you have to go to that hospital even though it has a bad reputation but i'm also making you go to the hospital get malpractice on and then told you you have no right to sue for malpractice how is that fair we have to call a spade a spade here the elephant in the room is these guys are being mistreated so awfully and who wants to lose? And, and, you know, you talked about, you know, maybe you might lose your parent or someone. Everybody gets harmed or hurt out of this. Yeah, we sure do because even though it may not be me, guess what? At the end of the day, all of us are impacted or affected by this law because we lose soldiers. That means we lose our ability to protect our country because when there's no more soldiers left because all this malpractice has happened to them, guess what? Either we all got to sign up and enlist or come forward because we lost the good guys Or we've got to change the law and make sure we protect our soldiers like they're
1: protecting us. You have said a mouthful. There's so many things you've covered there.
5: And it is important.
1: It's it's as if a civilian malpractice injury is far more valuable money-wise than a military one. You know, you were put on a different value scale. So why do you value a civilian who's being protected by the military above the military protecting this, this civilian. Exactly. It, it goes
3: back to people talking about, you know, we want to support our troops. We, we want, I, I support veterans. And, and again, I go back to, you know, this isn't some bumper sticker you, you just slap on your pickup truck. You, you, Natalie's hitting a, a salient point here in that if you really want to do something, you have to raise awareness to change this law. This has to be changed. There has to be equality and fairness, for our our military service members who are serving on active duty, then there has to be some mechanism where at the beginning they have to at least be notified that this doctrine exists before they go in for this type of procedure. It's just unconscionable to think that we are so limited by the type of care and treatment we have and that, you know, the one question that popped into my head that I'll ask Rich is, are you still receiving treatment at the same facility where they misdiagnosed you or have you branched out? No. Uh, in the beginning, I I went back
4: as a professional courtesy to just inform the the right place that I was being seen and treated out in town. And uh, I've, I've met no resistance. They almost seemed happy that I was going out in town and, and uh, nobody's ever asked me since to go back and, i don't I don't intend to,
3: <laughs> oh my God,
4: well, one of the
1: things that military policy is is that if you have an appointment as a new patient and you're seen within thirty days uh there's you can't go out to see a civilian doctor, and they kept on giving you appointments like twenty nine days out so they stayed within that thirty day rule, didn't they, Richard?
4: yeah, that's um, when I called when I was really struggling um uh, I I called them first before I ended up calling my wife, and that was what the excuse, whatever excuse or policy that I was giving it was phone. And uh, I asked, um, as it was.
1: Oh, Richard's cell phone is fading in and out. We lost him. Richard, you so, still with us? Sounds I'm like still his, here. he may his call may have dropped. Oh, you, Richard, you still there? Because you dropped off. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Cause whatever you were saying, the last couple of sentences got dropped off.
4: Um, yeah, basically, I just, when I called and and informed them I needed an appointment sooner, and, uh, you know, I didn't know what to do. That was, I asked if I could go out in town, and that was what I was informed was just if I was under the, the day mark, then I had to wait, um, and the new patients didn't have priority. And then when I asked to go out in town, they said it wasn't. Far enough out on the calendar to where They would permit you to leave Out in town to go out in town
1: Now is this a military regulation That is in stone Or is it just someone saying something Just to blow you off
4: um, I don't I don't know if it's a TRICARE Policy or a military policy Myself
1: Well Natalie would that be part of the lawsuit This policy
5: well, right now it's not part of the lawsuit um, being able to see someone because, like I said, the VA had expanded the rights to the veterans by giving them the choice program. Um, that, would, that would really be a good issue to raise long-term as far as the rights to our soldiers also having the right to also choose. Because, look, I'm a capitalist. I believe in free you know, I believe that a good person who has a good restaurant should stay in business and the one who sucks should go out of business just like a good doctor who's a good doctor should say this and the one that sucks should go you know do something else pottery or something else not touching patients and unfortunately they don't have that it's very um restrictive it's very um archaic for the military to see doctors and to obviously with rights um so i would like to see our soldiers be also have the right to see the doctors of their choice like civilians do like the veterans are starting to implement that new program with them you know there's I think, you know, there's so many parts to this story for all Americans to learn about, not just about the the rights of our our soldiers or the lack of rights of our soldiers, but also the importance of being able to uh, hold people accountable for their acts and make people whole, have a right to, um, you know, like, be made whole. You know, we have two daughters here, two beautiful girls that I met. I was very lucky to meet them last week, and they're also going to suffer. They're suffering right now. But, you know, you're talking about next year and the year after and the year after. It's not fair because it's not just impacting Richard and his wife. It's impacting their children and the grandchildren and everything. We've got to remember, if this happened to you, you would go for the jugular. You would make sure that this, you torch the place. You know, how dare they? I'm going after everything. Why would we not allow our veterans to vent and and pursue their rights the same as us? There's no reason to discriminate and treat them. If anything, if, 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 if it's a dollar to a dollar it should be $2 for a soldier because they worked harder to save and protect our country. There should be no reason why it should be anything less than the same rights as all of us.
1: Well, now he's in good hands with you and, and Scott helping him and his wife, Megan. She must be a really amazing person. I wish she was able to join us. Um, she's but, a rock star
5: Richard, how are I you? mean I tell you she's, she's a rock and I mean that lady is impressive I I learned so much from her
1: Well you know from reading All the articles and the petition And I'm going to remind people again I put a link of the petition up on the show page So as you read the description Click on support our troops Amend the Ferris Doctrine It is a change.org petition To change this doctrine So we can get the law changed um, But so much I read about You know how she She intervened, uh, Richard, and made sure you got yourself to the hospital, stood by your side, talked to the doctors after you had the biopsy. Man, what a strong, strong and amazing woman she is.
4: Well, She's She's my little pocketbook of information. She holds it together for
3: me. I mean, just the fact that she's, she's helping, you know, Rich tell the story and, and you are helping tell the story, I think is important. And, you know, in this day and age we live in about information sharing is nobody likes to go on their computer and click on sad, you know, heartbreaking stories. But these are the important stories. These are the messages that are really going to sustain this country. And I think Natalie brought up some good points. It's like without the soldiers and Marines to defend everything we have. If we kick them by the wayside because of some antiquated policy that bars FTC action on behalf of the service members, we are harming our country. This is such a, a, a macro-level picture that people need to see, and these are the stories that need to be told, and not just on, on, on podcasts and radio. This should be national news, that this needs to change. And Rich's case is a, is a, is, should be a landmark decision that is a, a a paradigm shift on how we treat our veterans who are affected by not only service-related injuries but also the malpractice of bonehead doctors that probably shouldn't even be clipping the hooves on livestock, let alone providing acute medical care uh, in, in oncology or any other field. This should just has to change, and this is the story that has to get out there. Thanks, Scott. You
5: that is no yeah, Scott, thank you. And you know, thanks for uh, explaining that. You know, one of the other things I want to mention is, you know, these guys, they go and they serve our country. And there's a lot of people that don't want to serve. But when you get to start, when you bring awareness to this issue, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to say, wait, I don't want to go through that, or I don't want my son or daughter having to be, uh, their rights being denied, violated, because they served our country. This is going to have a bigger effect than everyone realizes, or probably still does have a really big effect. Maybe that's probably why a lot of people are not uh, going, not enlisting. You know, what are we going to do? Uh, we're going to keep this bad law in place and just hope, just what are we going to do, just have a draft because nobody wants to go and enlist anymore because of this bad law? No, it's, it's a fixable law. It takes an act of Congress, and I'm going to urge everybody out there to reach out to your congressman, You reach out to your congresswoman, and tell them that you think that this is wrong and you'd like to see this change. You know, when these, when these people go and run for Congress and they run for Senate, you see their campaign commercials, they're spending millions of dollars to win. And what's their biggest thing? We support our troops. We love our troops. I love my troops. I support my troops. Blah, 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 blah. That's what we hear all day long. But when we call them, let's say they really support our troops. Put your money where your mouth is. Us as citizens, we need our soldiers. We wouldn't be here but for them. So if we really need and protect and love our country, and we love our soldiers, and we love our troops, we need Congress to come in, step in, and do something when we elected them. And you could tell them, hey, didn't you say in your commercial you support our troops? Let's see how much you support our troops because I support our troops. That's why I'm calling you right now. Let them do that. And there's a website we created for this particularly. It's www.ferrisdoctrine.com. Ferris Doctrine, s like Frank, E R E doctrine d-o-c-t-r-i-n-e dot com and you're going to go up there you can donate to richard's cause you can sign the petition you can read about the ferris doctrine and let me tell you this is not an isolated incident unfortunately i'm getting phone calls from around the country actually around the world because a lot of our soldiers got malpractice on in german hospitals i'm being told and all these other hospitals internationally because remember they deploy everywhere And they're calling me and telling me, no lawyer will take my case. Nobody will help me. Ladies are calling me. My husband died. He was 36 years old, 41 years old. I mean, these are heartbreaking stories. And I think America needs to be aware of this. And, Scott, when you said it earlier, you're right. People don't like to read the sad stories. But I'm going to tell you, everyone, the sad story is they always say, the sun comes out tomorrow. If this sad story can make a new bill, it can make a new act, that we can read in the papers one day, and we can all, like, Pat ourselves on the back and say, "Wow, we were part of this effort. This is great news for America. We we called, we signed, we did what we needed to do, and now there's a bill out there protecting our soldiers, protecting our heroes, because we all united and did this together."
3: Well, and people are acting well, and, and taking part. That's that's important, Natalie, because. People, there's a time for talking and there's a time for doing. And you know, accountability of our politicians that use veterans to get on the ballot, that use veterans to get elected into office, they have to they have to be held accountable. And that's a great point. And you know, whether Rich sues successfully in this case is one. Uh, no one, need, everyone needs to understand. Like, we're not taking money out of this guy's college kids fund. You know, who 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 performed this malpractice? There are funds available that are allocated for this type of, of you know, civil tort. It's unbelievable to think that people are so narrow-minded that they wouldn't want to change this. And I would hate that we have all of this discussion and work, and the next time we're on with Ann or anyone else, and, you know, this becomes a successful endeavor on your part, and you win this case, and I want you to win. Uh, I want this thing to just be crushed into pieces um, but I don't want to say Rich would have been proud, and it's too late. I want Rich to hear that. I want Rich to know that everything he's fighting for today, just like he did in Ramadi, and just like he did during his entire of his service, mattered. And that's that's what I want Rich to to enjoy.
1: Well, I'm going to update the show description after we get off air to add Natalie that website you gave us, com. I have it up on the screen. And you know this is this is definitely something that has to go viral we like you said, we need to kick this in the butt and get rid of it uh It's a shame because we hear of only just one or two cases, and yet how many thousands are out there that we don't hear about you know it it's, it's the and what happens with the military you're told to sit down and shut up you're not allowed to express a political opinion you're not allowed to express a religious opinion. chaplains are told they can't you know minister to troops and Talk about Jesus. And it goes from one aspect of free speech, freedom of religion, and now the right to life. They've taken away now from the military their right to life. Natalie?
5: Exactly. No, you're right. You're right. It's a, it's a, it's a right to decision-making, you know, going to see the doctor that you want to go to. It's a right to uh, – you, now you're being forced to see a doctor or, or go to a hospital you don't want to go to because you know that they're known to have problems. And then you're also barred from being able to pursue a claim. If, you're, if your instincts were right, I mean, come on. Come on. This doesn't even happen in Saudi Arabia. We can fix this. This is so fixable. It's, just, it's all, again, the hardest part you're doing, ma'am. You're doing it. You're, you're spreading the word. Thank you for having us on your show. You're spreading the message. My part is to make sure the law gets fixed. Everybody else's part is just to support us.
1: Well, I, I got to tell you the truth. Normally, the day after Thanksgiving, I put up a pre recorded show because I'd like to sit back on the day after and just relax. But I thought this was just too important an issue and that I had to do this. And. God placed you in my hands, and now I just hope I do a good enough job to help spread that word. You know, it is a shame because, Richard, when you went to the hospital emergencies, not once, not twice, but numerous times, each time you were treated as if you were, you know, just someone that really wasn't sick. You were told, oh, you only have pneumonia, go home. Yet each time they looked at a CAT scan that showed it. So was it doctors just covering their own assets, CYA, just protecting each other? to not expose this one cat skin.
4: Yeah. You know, I, I think about it all the time and it's, it's, you know, I'd like to think I was a mind reader and could tell you why they did what they did, but you know, it's, it's just obvious that they did what they did because I'm in the situation I'm in and you know, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking and it's, it's upsetting for the family and you know, just, all of the above. And just like I just want to recap on what Scott and Natalie have been saying, you know, this is, yes, you know, people may see just myself and my wife and my girls, but, you know, this is a type of situation that's come up numerous time over, times over the years. So it's like Natalie said and what Scott said, it's not isolated. It's been going on. So where's the hiccup at? Where, well, why is it not taking that final step to be fixed? Because if it had, I, I really believe I wouldn't be in the situation that I'm in, you know, and that's, that's what they're you know, has, had somebody done th- their full scope of duties, had this law been fixed back when it was being talked about, I wouldn't be in this situation, you know, and this is, it's a unified effort and I, I come across so many people that are like, oh, you can't do it. It's the government. You can't win. And, or they're afraid they're even afraid. And I'm like, how can you be afraid of your own country? You know, why, why else are you, why are you here then? And, you know, we've done so many things as a country since the beginning, since our country's existed. I mean, we've overturned just things that are so asinine that just have no place in our society. And so it can be done. And I believe I have the most amazing support from my wife to my kids, to my family, to Natalie, to Scott, to friends who I've, you know, lifelong friends since, you know, childhood schooling. And um, so I believe everybody agrees with this. Everybody wants to see the change. So, and just like again, like I said, you know, it's a unified effort, and we we have to hold our politicians that we elected to serve us to do the things that we want as a community. Rich,
1: yeah, I, I got just a question don't... for you. Go ahead, Curtis.
4: All uh, right.
2: Do you do you still hear from some of your um, former comrades, and um, are they still very supportive of you?
4: Oh yeah, absolutely. I uh, like I, said, I hear from everybody all the time, every day. I, I just, you know it's funny, it's amazing how many people actually still like me these days. You know, we working so hard over the years, but yeah, just I mean they're coming out of everywhere. You know, from the from the top of mountains to the lowest areas of the desert, just coming out to to say, hey man, you know we support you. We think what you're doing is right, and uh, we believe in it. So there's you know I've had people calling, offering to help in any which way possible. There's like Put me on speed dial. I'm here, so it's been amazing. That's great.
1: Oh, it's always good to have a support group. So, how are you feeling now?
4: Um, I, I'm okay. I, I mean, I just finished up racing, so it's. I uh, was, I said before, I'm having a little bit of trouble speaking for some odd, weird reason. But, um, I mean, I'm just. I mean, I'm nauseous and I feel like there's a stone in me from the radiation but you know i just you know I try to look at the days each day at a time and recognize what's important about it and you know i got my wife by my side and uh my kids with me and you know you can't ask for much more
1: well do your daughters are they aware of what is going on
4: yes we we don't like to i mean you know we tell them in a version that uh, suits their age and uh they understand and uh you know i I think it's important not to, to lie to them and to be honest with them about what they're going through. And, uh, you know, I think it's important to keep that, that, that unity between my family t- together is through honesty. Well, is the military provides
2: them like, um, psychological support or services
4: and yourself. They do. They, they do a military counselor at their schools. Um, and unfortunately they're, they're going, they were doing pretty good, not going as much, but now they're, they're back up to, um, as many days as they can get. Um, you know, it's just, I worry about the long-term effects that all this is going to have on them. And, uh, you and know, it's, 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 Oh, absolutely. You know, I just, I try not to think about it as much as I can, but you know, it's important to, you know, along with the whole thing, like I said, it's not just me. It's, it's all the people that are affected by this between family members and, you know, it's friends, to, you know, just, good old patriotic Americans who, you know, hate to see a soldier, you know, killed and murdered, you know, for no, for no reason. So it's, um, it's heartbreaking. It it affects a lot of people. So anyways, especially the young ones.
1: Man, my heart goes out. My prayers go out to your daughters and your wife that, uh, that God keeps them safe and in his love. Uh, It's, it's heartbreaking to hear what you're going through, and I can't imagine myself. I mean, two years ago, I almost lost my husband, and uh, he spent a month and a half. But thankfully, he's up around and knock on wood with me for several more years. Uh, but to have your wife know that you have such a short time together, um, how is she doing?
4: Um, actually, she, she's right here, and she can answer that for you if you like. Oh, please.
7: Hey there.
1: We're going to welcome aboard, aboard, Megan. How are you today?
7: I'm good. How about yourself?
1: Yeah, I'm just wondering how you can stay so strong uh, with the, uh, here, with Rich, and not yourself, crack up and go nuts?
7: Um, Well, I do it for him. I do it for our girls. I do have my weak moments. I tend to hide in the closet when I have those, um, but I need to... Put on a brave face for for them, especially our girls.
1: Well, God bless you for that, Megan. You know, we were bragging about you. You, you were such an amazing, strong woman. And Natalie said uh, she learned a lot from you.
7: Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I've learned a, a, a ton from her as
6: well.
1: <laughs> you know, uh, you were—they're pushing him to go for the. A visits to the ER and everything. And I was reading all the stories about him going into the ER. You had one nurse who was complaining about, you know, chest pains and everything. He was unable to breathe while lying down. And she basically just fluffed everything off. Uh, you had, they kept on sending him home saying you had pneumonia. And yet now he was coughing up blood and you're not going to get an appointment until 29 days out. You know, that must have been frustrating for you.
7: It was. It was absolutely, um, I mean, frustrating, heartbreaking to see him in so much pain and, you know, really feeling just kind of helpless on both our ends, not getting the answers that we needed. You know, when we went into the ER at WOMAC, um, you know, it was just kind of they did the, the basic overhaul and then we went to the ER the following week and they did a few more tests, but... You know, they did x-rays but never revisited doing another CT scan at the civilian hospital. But, again, not thinking, I guess, a 37-year-old healthy man would have lung cancer. And then, yeah, shortly after he started coughing up blood and then being told that, hey, you're not priority because you're not an existing patient was just troubling to say the least. Um, but when he finally got into his, the, his pulmonologist now – um We are just thankful that we got him and that he did all the testing and had him in for a biopsy, you know, literally the next available date and, you know, started him on treatment from that point forward. We're lucky for at least that. Well,
1: it's ironic because you look at someone and because they are physically, they look physically fine, they're young, they seem to be fairly healthy, good physical shape. Any other things you complain about, aches or pains, they're going to dismiss it. And yet, by doing so, they completely ignored the fact that he did have cancer. Instead of doing due diligence, they just kept on overlooking it. And this went on for months, Natalie.
7: Yeah, it's heartbreaking.
5: You know, I want to say, you know, we had, uh, as I told you earlier, this is Natalie, by the way, speaking. Thanks, Meg. We had, we have a very healthy, was a very healthy Um, He was a a Marine sniper, a Green Beret, soldier fighting for our country. Not even a terrorist who shot him in the chest could kill him. We have an inept American doctor hiding behind a white lab coat that's killed him. There's something wrong with this picture. There's something wrong, and this is the problem. The problem is that no one knows. No one knows who, what, when, and how. To turn a blind eye to this, you know, everyone's going to be blind if we do this again, if we let this happen one more time. We need to fix this situation. We can't allow our soldiers and our men and our heroes die on our country, on our territory. I mean, those goddamn terrorists that couldn't kill them. But we got this happening here on our soil. When we have the best American health system in the world, yet our military doesn't, we need to give that to them. They deserve it just as much as we do.
1: Well, Natalie, uh, one of the things that I came across, the argument for not changing the doc- doctrine, was that they were afraid the federal government will end up having retroactive costs for previous malpractice cases, that, not to even mention future, and they were estimating roughly it's going to cost over 10 years $2.7 billion to the to the government. Do you think that is going to be enough of an argument to stop the change of the Ferris Doctrine?
5: So let me ask you something, um, and, and I'm not trying to be mean, but it makes me angry. No, go ahead, be mean. <laughs> really, really despicable answer. So uh, we'd rather lose 2.6 billion soldiers than dollars. Like, when have we ever worried about money when it came to our health care and everything? We have all these pork belly uh, acts out there, bills that are giving our defense contractors $3 a paperclip. But we're worried about saving money when a soldier dies. Really? First of all, this first and foremost. If that was an issue, then get get the malpractitioners out of the system, and then won't cost us two point six billion dollars. Okay? If we if we weed them out, I promise you how much money we'd save. So what does that do? That means oh God, we got to hire some good doctors instead of the bad ones. I I think that's probably, probably the first and best answer I can come up with. We the bad doctors out, and it won't, it, won't it won't cost us our soldiers, and it won't cost us money. Who's counting money when we're talking about people's lives? Number two, when, oh. when Federal Tort Claims Act allows for our veterans to sue for malpractice, that should have, quote-unquote, broke the system. We're not bankrupt as a country, and we let veterans sue for malpractice. So what, active military, if that's going to break our system? Come on. That's such a poor, lousy excuse to not protect and save our soldiers. If we would just fix A, the system, which means we would allow our soldiers to actually have access to good care, there wouldn't be any malpractice. Very, very fixable to start with. But number two, if we're going to allow the soldiers to sue for malpractice, it's not going to do anything but weed out the bad doctors because all of a sudden we're going to notice who's the ones who are causing the problems. You don't blame the victim. He blames the perpetrator. The victim shouldn't be blamed for cost. You know what? His cost right now is his life. That's what, we're, that's what he's losing. Our, us taxpayers, we pay. Look, every day there's a malpractice filed for people got their finger twisted the wrong way and they still have a right to sue for malpractice. But we have soldiers out there that can't sue. It didn't bankrupt any system. Actually, last time I checked, HMO systems are doing really well. Everybody's prospering. The country's doing well. Remember all the jobs that were just created? The only problem—the only jobs that are going to be lost here are the ones that shouldn't have them, and that's bad doctors that are practicing medicine and hiding in our VA systems and our military hospitals.
1: No, I Melanie, I love poking Do you go
5: ahead,
2: Do you know if um, the doctor? or doctors involved in this analysis, um, are they still practicing within the, um, the system, military um, medical system?
5: You know what? I wish we knew. That's the problem. There's no transparency. Unlike uh, the rights that you and I have, I can find out the doctor in two seconds if somebody does estimate. But the minute we go in there and we start looking into things, oh, he did it, she did it, we're seeing altered medical records, uh, dates and times being changed. So, unfortunately, the system has some issues that need to be fixed. And it's very, again, going back to the whole thing, it's very fixable. I'm a capitalist. I believe in free market. If we just treat the hospitals, the military hospitals, the same way we treat our private hospitals. You know, if I go down the street and I go to Children's Hospital Philadelphia or University of Pennsylvania Hospital, Pennsylvania Hospital down here in Philadelphia, I can go and get the best medicine and care. That should be the same there. That means, what does that mean? That means all we do is got to screen these doctors better. Look for the ones, look at their grades, look at what, they, what they've done, look at the amount mal- of malpractice lawsuits they had prior to entering these hospitals. To give you some history here, just to give background, military hospitals and VA hospitals originally were set up for officers, ones that went to West Point um, Naval Academy, Officers that went and graduated and worked in the military that became doctors, they went and they were doctors in our own military hospitals. made sense. The, the military paid for their degree. They served our, our military. What happened is we have expanded, allowed for doctors, civilian doctors, to come out from the private sector, go into the military hospital. And I'll give you some background. I used to work at University of Pennsylvania Hospital and Children's Hospital Philadelphia. And when a doctor was really bad and got a lot of malpractice suits, We used to have a common joke, and I hate to say this, but we used to say, I wonder which VA hospital he's going to go work at. Because they knew that he couldn't get malpractice insurance, and no malpractice carrier would insure him anymore. And under law, every doctor has to have malpractice insurance. And when they become such a risk because they get sued so many times, their insurance carrier will drop them. So now they can't practice medicine, which should be the law. They should not practice medicine. They shouldn't be practicing medicine. They shouldn't be touching patients. They shouldn't be touching our parents, our children, our siblings. But what they do is there's some area, that gray zone that says, oh, but you can go work at the VA and the military hospitals and get a job. And no one's going to ask you questions because it doesn't require you to carry malpractice insurance. That should be one of those big, bright signs that say, "Uh uh-oh let's look into this. This is a problem. So what they're doing is they're sneaking into these military hospitals and the VAs where they normally wouldn't be able to practice medicine at the private hospitals and they go work on our veterans. And I'm not saying all of them are like this, by the way. There's a lot of good doctors out there. But the ones that are out there practicing medicine when they shouldn't are the ones that are causing these malpractice cases. So not only are they getting paid when they shouldn't even have a job anymore, they got a nice lifestyle, they get doctor salaries working at the VA in the military hospitals, they have all these benefits and they're committing malpractice left, right, and center and they're not being held accountable for because the law right now, under the Ferris Doctrine, protects them. That's not what our Congress, that's not what our legislators, that's not what our courts intended. This is fixable.
1: Wow, I didn't even know those doctors did not have malpractice insurance. And what makes it worse is they're accountable to absolutely no one because they don't have a military rack, uh, rank, so they can't be brought to uh, –
5: go Militar- ahead. Thank you for saying that. Um, thank, you for, thank you for opening it up because I was wanted to say but I thought it might be too much information. So let me tell you, if you are a military doctor, you're an officer, correct, and you malpractice, if Richard had gotten some officer that malpracticed on him, he would have to answer to a military tribunal for that, which goes to show that this was – this was not the intention of the law. The military doctor would have had to go before the military tribunal and deal with this issue. But the civilian doctors who committed the malpractice here, by the way, don't have a military tribunal to answer to because they can't be forced to because they're not in the military. So there's this gray area, this gray zone, this loophole that nobody even knows or, or knows about. They're not being accounted for. They're not being accountable. And they're being immune, shielded from any kind of accountability and malpractice. So it's like this area this cesspot of doctors that are that are committing malpractice on our on our soldiers. Again, I'm for the USA. Don't let anyone fool you. I'm all about capitalism, like I told you earlier. I'm all about our military. I'm all about our rights. And I'm saying, I'm not saying I want the country to go bankrupt. I'm not saying I want to go after the VA or the DoD. Not at all. Actually, I'm so pro-VA, pro-DOD, I'm anti-bad doctors. And I don't know a person on the planet that's going to say, but I love them. No, nobody likes them. Get out of medicine. Stop touching our, stop touching our soldiers. Stop not practicing on them. Get out of medicine. Go do pottery.
1: <laughs> I love poking you. <laughs> this is so much fun. <laughs> and you have such passion for for this issue uh, and it should and rightly so because richard deserves that power and that passion you're exactly who i think he needs to fight this case now where does it stand now have you made any filings or everything yet
5: well we we filed with the u.s attorney's office and they use the you know tech mark ferris doctrine sorry goodbye um so right now we're filing in federal court in the eastern district in north carolina and from there um right now i'm um, strategically looking at um, ways of going straight to the Supreme Court with some kind of extraordinary wit or um, some other Rule 11, Rule 30 um, procedure that we can expedite the process. In addition to that, we're grateful for folks like you who are allowing us to be um, spread the word here to our good um, American citizens and our good soldiers that are listening to this program right now. And our third most Hopefully, most productive avenue is we are meeting with with Congress, different congressmen and women, senators, and asking them that they have the right, they are capable of fixing this like that, like that. This is how fixable this is. Like I said, look, guys, you know, saying it, it takes an act of Congress, yes, it does, and it takes a community. So we're going through the legal process and we're going through the legislative process. Hopefully, those processes, one or all of them, will restore. Richard's rights, his family's rights, and all our soldiers' and military's rights.
1: Thank you for that. Now you're not looking to overturn the first doctrine completely. You just want it to go back to the original intent, right?
5: Well, no, we're not looking to reverse the first doctrine. We're looking to carve it out, make an exception here to make sure you're not barring our active military from being able to pursue a malpractice claim when it's on U.S. So- soil, at a U.S. hospital. So what we're saying is, Wilmack Hospital, for example, is not in combat. There is no war going on in there. So no one has to say, oh, well, this is the Ferris Doctrine, so I'm protected. I can mis- malpractice on our soldiers all day long and I'm protected because look at that. There's the Ferris Doctrine. That's a misuse. That's a, actually, that's an abuse of the law. And that's what's happening. These people are abusing our soldiers. So what we want to do is we want to carve out here and say, look, if you practice, if you enjoy the rights and the benefits working at our U.S. military hospitals, you also have to perform like any other U.S. doctor. You can't get around this. You are accountable if you do something to that soldier.
1: Yeah, because, you know, here, Richard's case is very similar to the Daniel case. You know, it was not directly related to combat. You know, here she gives birth. That has nothing to do with the job you do in the military. No, he he contracts cancer. That was not in in direct combat zone, and it was here in a U.S. hospital where, as you said, the doctor should be held accountable. You know, uh, there was a, a Dr. Lewis, I'm probably going to mispronounce his last name, Leskowski, did I say that correctly? Uh, and he looked at the cat stand, and he basically said a first-year resident would have seen this. And this is a guy that is a practicing radiologist, which means he already went through his residency. He's now practicing, and he does not see this. How many other CAC scans did this one doctor see and misdiagnose or ignore? We don't even know if he misdiagnosed it or simply just ignored it.
5: You know, you're right. I had a lot of um, people call me and tell me that they had lung cancer and they had other cancers, and Wilmack had said that they were cleared. So we really don't know. You know, this is somebody that's out there that's just harming our veterans, harming our patients, harming our soldiers. You know, because these guys are also seeing the families. You know, so it's not always just a it's not always just soldier that's being harmed; it's a family member. So it means scary to say, "Hey, look, everybody, go go get a second opinion because you might be walking around cancer and nobody knows." That's pretty scary.
1: You know, it just scared the heck out of me because my mother the other day, my father passed away a number of years ago, and he was a World War II vet. And she made a comment that, you know, someone told her as the wife of a veteran, she would be able to go to the Naval Hospital near us. And what you're saying now is scaring the heck out of me because I am going to tell mom, no, 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 no. Let's see what happens with this lawsuit before you go anywhere near a military doctor because we don't know if he's civilian or a military rank. No, no, no. Go to my doctor, please. But this is scary. Now I'm wondering if they're doing this misdiagnosis to keep the cost down at the hospital, just, just to show on paper that how well a job they're doing, how many people they're discharging, you know, all clear.
5: And yes, and you know what? I'm glad you're saying that. So you know earlier you talked about money, oh, this could cost so much money. if We gave soldiers the right, the same rights we all have. I love how we're going to get mad at soldiers for having the same rights we have. Oh no, don't do that. We'll go bankrupt. But yet, we could do it. You know, if you're going to say no to them, you should say no to us. It's all for one and one for all. That's how it should be, first of all. But secondly, when when you talk about that, think of what the malpractice costs taxpayers. So if we actually had good doctors in there, doctors that are qualified practicing medicine, Richard's cancer could have been surgically removed, and he would be right now where he should be overseas, fighting and protecting our country. But instead, he's fighting for his life here, getting radioactive treatment, you know, radiation, um, all, these, all these days he's being put in the hospital. Think of all the, and I hate to use the money thing because that's what people like to use, oh, the money. So let's use the money thing. Let's use your argument. Look at all the money we're spending on, 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 his, uh, on his treatment. We're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on his treatment when it could have taken... A 20-minute procedure to remove it, and he would have been clear and fine. So, think of how much money these physicians—bad physicians—I shouldn't even call them physicians because they're not doctors. They're butchers. Think of how much money these butchers are costing our taxpayers. Not—and again, I'm not trying to be cold or cruel because it means a lot. We're also—they're also killing our soldiers. But if we want to talk money here. It's a lot cheaper for us long-term to have good doctors practicing medicine on our military than to have bad doctors butchering our soldiers and costing our taxpayers so much money long-term to fix what they've done, fix what they've harmed.
1: And Now, uh, Richard, how much of your medical care is TRICARE covering? Are they covering 100% of it, or you still have to come out of pocket
4: no, just because I'm active duty, though, I still fall under uh, TRICARE, um, and primarily I just use them. They they release my referrals and authorizations for me to be allowed to go see off-post uh, treatment. So
1: you are seeing off-post treatment, and the doctors off-post are taking the TRICARE 100%?
4: <clears throat> yes, yes, and I mean, I've built, you know, I've been at this so long now, I've built such a relationship with them, they they know even when my referrals expire that I'll I'll get them. Uh, well, my my wife will get them. She's she's my medical expert,
6: <laughs> <laughs> Megan.
1: You are a champion. You got to keep on this guy's back. <laughs> Don't let him miss that <laughs> one step. Um, oh man, I'm looking at the clock. We're down nope. to our last fifteen minutes here. Um, this is such an important story to get out to amend the Ferris Doctrine. As Natalie, I was able to get up onto the show description page now before the end of the show, ferrisdoctrine.com, as well as the petition that's up on change.org support our troops, amend the Ferris Doctrine. People should go to both of them and check it out and donate towards, uh, Richard's cause as well as contacting their congressman. It's important. Make that phone call, send that email, uh, send a letter, do whatever you have to do. If you know that you've got a congressman doing a town hall Get in their face. Ask them the question: Do you know what the Ferris Doctrine is? And are you aware that Richard Skakel is dying because of the Ferris Doctrine? That our men and women in the military and their families are dying because of the Ferris Doctrine abuse. Am I saying this right, Natalie, or am I saying this wrong?
5: That's correct. It's a it's a an overly broad application of a law that was that had a certain purpose and intent, but has been. Broadly and improperly applied To protect And defend doctors committing Malpractice on our soldiers and our military There's a very quick Easy fix to this And that is Call your congressman, call your senator Call your elected official, the one that You elected because You voted for them Call them and tell them, hey look You know, I voted for you because you told me You support our troops, you told me you love America, so do I I'm going to ask you to vote, to do something about this law, pass this legislation, sign on to this legislation, do something. We are all, you know, as Americans, we don't realize how much power we have as citizens. Our power is, our swords are our pens, remember that, our pens, we contact them, we can send letters, we can email, we can call them, we can tell them, look, I voted for you, I want you to help our soldiers, help our troops. And the way you could do that is you could pass this legislation to amend the Ferris doctrine, to make sure our soldiers no longer have this malpractice on them. And if they do get malpractice on, they have a right of recourse. They have a right to be made whole. More importantly, they should be healthy. We should be, those are the first people we need to keep healthy in our system is the ones that are out there fighting for us. Right? We can't have sick guys out there fighting for us because we have some doctors out there that couldn't get a real job at a real hospital. So They go and they, they say, hey, look, I'll go through the back door of their military hospital, and I'll get a nice, fat job with all the benefits, and I'll do whatever I want, and no one will know. That's not, that's not what America was built on. We're built on having the best, and I think should, the best should be maintained for our soldiers first.
2: You know, this all reminds well, me up. of um, this movie called The Rainmaker with Matt Damon and John Voigt. Um, I'm telling you, this, this law that they have, it, it, it seems unconstitutional because it denies Rich and others in his situation their rights, rights that they would have if they had done this in the uh, civilian, you know, world. So I think based on that, you know, constitutionally, that's a good way to approach uh, fighting this bill.
1: I agree.
7: I agree. Yeah, it totally.
1: is not... I'm... Actually, I'm putting out a tweet right now as we're um, talking. Yeah. If I Be- can Be- type Be- in. Be-
5: Be- <laughs> yeah, um, ferrisdoctrine.com, F e r e s. Doctrine, dot com. Go com and read about it. Learn about it. Sign that petition. It takes two seconds. It's amazing how much more what? you could do for our country in two seconds than any other time you could spend on the Internet. Well, the tweet I'm sending
1: out right now is going to have hashtag military life. Should put lives, military lives matter, and hashtag amend Ferris Doctrine. So that's going to be the I hashtag. So, guys, if you tweet, use those hashtags, military lives matter, and amend Ferris Doctrine. And it is going out now. So,
5: that's under Sudden Spence, uh,
1: my Twitter account, I just sent that out.
5: That's amazing. Thank you.
1: All right. No, you, you guys are all amazing. You know, Scott, you know, we're bringing this to my attention and standing by Richard's side. Richard, I I don't even know what to say. You are just an amazing individual. You, your wife, Megan, and your darling daughters. I saw pictures of them. They are just adorable. And Natalie, standing up for the fight, getting into the fray. God bless the, trio, the three of you, or the four of you, or the five of you, <laughs> <How> many? <laughs> or anyone else that helps you with this fight. But. I can't say enough to people to contact their congressman and get this doctrine amended. It is important we do it. You know, even go so far as putting out an editorial, put something up on the social network with a blog or something. Get the word out so people are aware that this is killing our military men and women and members of their family because the military doctors are not being held accountable. And this is unforgivable and should not stand. That's my rant.
5: I appreciate that. If anyone has any questions about this, um, anyone has any questions, they can feel free to call my office. You know, everyone, uh, our phone our phone rings all the time. Um, whoever answers the phone in my office, attorneys usually, they, they can transfer a phone straight to me. I mean, I'm always on standby. I work 24-7. Actually, sometimes I wonder if I work 25-8. But, um, you know, call 813-WHISTLE, 813-WHISTLE, like W H I S which is 944-7853-813 whistle and we answer all the questions you have. You could tell us where you live, I could tell you which congressman you can contact, his phone number. We're we're on we're doing this 24 hours a day. You know, my flight doesn't end until it's fixed and Richard knows that.
1: Yeah, and uh, your website people can reach you through that. Where I got a hold of you today was 813whistle.com. You do tremendous work with veterans, Natalie, and i got to commend you for doing that, standing up for the veterans. If we don't do it, who will, right?
5: That's correct. You know, they do go out there and they fight for us, so the least I could do is fight for them.
1: All right. And we all can do it from our armchair while we're watching TV and chewing on chips in front of the TV. It doesn't take a huge effort to do it. Just do it how better can we say that
3: and and, and you know it, it you know it, Natalie's un- underselling it a little bit too because you know it goes again putting some skin in the game and, and Natalie's doing this she's doing she's doing it pro bono she's really helping uh, rich not only by providing her time and services so again anyone listening that really feels They want to get involved. Contact Natalie's office. If you have resources, that's what this case needs. We need resources and to use the network not only within the military but now within the legal profession to join forces and build a coalition of smart people that can reverse or amend this doctrine. And and to Natalie, who who is really a true supporter of our nation's veterans, um, you know, my hat goes off to her. I salute Natalie and her entire staff because it's not just Natalie. Um, there's an entire team behind this that's making this, um, you know, you know, come to fruition and, and gain traction. So thanks again to, to not only Natalie but everyone else that wants to get involved. Contact Natalie's office and uh, make make a difference.
1: Well, Natalie, let's you, Scott. one last question to you is that, uh, how are you funding the lawsuit? Is it through the donations to the website?
5: No, no, I'm funding it um, personally, my own finances. You know, I, I take on fights that I wow. believe in, and uh, I believe in this, and I believe in our troops, and I believe in our military, and I believe in good health care for all.
1: Wow, that is a tremendous burden to take on, because uh, my sister happens to be a partner in a law firm up in upstate New York. Uh, so I, I understand you're running a law firm while you're doing this. You're You're tossing a lot of balls in the air and juggling them unbelievably. Thank
2: you. I just wanted to ask what we got Um one more question. A quick question. Go ahead, Curtis. We're down to about is, five minutes here. Had this not happened to him, was he thinking of making the military a career?
4: Uh yeah, actually I um about it was about one to two weeks um after I found out I had cancer I was to start the uh special forces warrant officer course. Um, I was going to become a a warrant officer. I was headed back to teams. I had just finished my instructor time um, teaching at the sniper course. And I had, I mean, I know some people may not believe it, but I I had no intentions of getting out. I had 15 more years to the T lined up with markers where I was going to move, duty positions I wanted and I was going to do. Um, And I had planned on working until I was almost 58, 60, as long as the military would take me and I was a contributor. I, I planned on contributing, so it was. Uh, it was definitely heartbreaking for many reasons, many many reasons. So they took away your career, as well as your
1: life. That's something. Yes, sir. Yeah, dreams dashed. And guys, I want to thank you for joining us, Richard, Scotty, and Natalie. Um, that's all we got for today. But I will send this out, this show out, and get people to. Help me post it on the social network. Uh, they can find the link easily by going to our webpage. Just put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, and relay it to other people. Let's make this go viral, people. Let's let's, let's get the word out. And check out com as well as the petition, which is support our troops, amend the Ferris Doctrine uh, at change.org. Thank you, Natalie, for joining us. And thank you, Richard, and thank you, Scotty.
4: Absolutely. Thank, thank you, you so much. much.
3: You? All
1: right, enjoy your weekend, and God bless God bless to you all. Uh, Curtis, that's all i got for now, if so I can hit the right buttons. Um, I don't know what we have lined up for Tuesday, so I have to double-check my calendar, which I don't have in front of me. Uh, but we will be back here yeah. on Tuesday. Hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving, and have a safe weekend. And, Curtis, you travel safely, too. You've got a ways to go before you head home.
2: Oh, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> But I will. I will. All right. I'll be back Tuesday. Closing
1: out the show. Great. Uh, we're closing out the show with our closing song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. Until then, I say good night and God bless.